Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Phantasm. Is it a nightmare? Phantasm. Is it an illusion? Phantasm. Is it an evil? You have to take me home. What? what? No questions. You must take me home. Phantasm. Is it a fantasy? doesn't scare you. You're already dead. Phantasm. Welcome to They Call This a Movie, testing the strength of friendships one terrible movie at a time. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and other podcast services by searching They Call This a Movie. We are part of the Main Damey Network. And to find more from us, check out the website, themaindamey.com, or on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at The Main Damey. We are also now a proud member of Geek Vibes Nation. You can find them at gvnation.com. Welcome back to They Call This a Movie. This is Anthony Delvecchio. With me, as always, is Dan Aquino and Mark Meyer. Say hello, gentlemen. Hey, guys. How's it going? Hello. I'm just real excited that it's the uh, time of the year where I am completely surprised because I've never heard of any of these movies that are coming my way. And it's always <laughs> a treat to see what they actually are. So as much as you get excited by seeing horror movies, I love the surprise part of it for me. Okay. Yeah, well, I hope this one was a surprise. But before we get into this week's movie, gentlemen, what did you watch this week? So as Mark said, uh, we're underway with our horror movie watching. So I went right in head first. I started watching the Friday the 13th, the final chapter. As we all know, that wasn't the final chapter. I haven't finished it yet. I fell asleep, but I'm halfway through. Then uh, I watched Get Duked on Amazon Prime. Very bad. I do not recommend that movie. It's I think it came out last week or a week before that. It's basically about 
for English delinquents who think they're on a field trip in the Highlands, and they're basically being hunted by Eddie Izzard and some random woman in a mask. Is it it's Eddie Izzard? Ver- it is Eddie Izzard, yeah, but not the woman. <laughs> no, that's, that was the joke. I was oh, okay. No, it's Eddie Izzard <laughs> is the guy, and then it's someone else. I don't know who it is. But it's almost like the most dangerous game, except it's a bunch of English teenagers, and they're not dangerous at all. But it's not very good, so don't watch it. <laughs> I, re- I regret watching it. And I just finished watching. I watched something that we're going to be recording at a later date, so I don't want to give it away. And I just finished watching uh, The Outlaw King with... What's his face? I can't remember all of a sudden. It's uh, from Star Trek. Chris, uh, Chris Pine. Yeah, and that's about it. That was pretty good. It's basically Braveheart, though, so... As you know, I love Braveheart. That's true. You do. All right, Mark, what about you? What do you yeah, watch this so week? I haven't watched much. I've just been finishing up high score. I finally got through it all and then rewatched a couple of the earlier ones just to refresh my memory on it, just because I did really like the series. There were some things that I think are like trying to make people look a little bit better than they actually are because they were able to grant the interview. So they got the positive press from it. Looking directly at you, John Romero. Yeah, it was it was interesting. A lot of the older stuff, I didn't know the complete stories, knew some parts of it. But some of the newer stuff, being a little more up to date on it, was kind of like, ah, I think you're stretching it a little bit to make you seem a little more important than you actually were. I think overall, it's it's a good video game documentary, especially for people that aren't hardcore gamers. I think you'll enjoy it and at least get an understanding of why things are the way they are now. But yeah, that's about all I've been watching. Okay. I haven't watched much in terms of stuff that is new to me. I've rewatched a couple of movies. I watched The Babysitter, the first one with Samara Weaving uh, with my wife because she was looking for something horror themed to watch, but she's not big into horror. So I figured that that was a nice light sort of horror movie to watch. Watched that. We watched Nightmare Before Christmas because it's on Disney Plus. So that was a nice little start to the 31 Days of Horror that should be coming up soon. I guess, you know, today uh, when you hear are hearing this, uh, 31 Days of Horror is going to kick off. But I also started watching The Boys Season 1, which is really good. I'm about like six episodes in, I think. Five or six. Really good. Really dark. I was expecting that. So it delivers on that. It's a well done show. I'm very interested in continuing that. And I think that's all I've watched. I can't remember watching any movies that were new to me. I've been thinking about starting The Boys as well. I I suggest it. Yeah. I'm about three episodes into the second season. I'm not going to give anything away, obviously, but so far it's not as good as the first season, but you know, I'll leave it up to you guys when you get there. It starts off a little slower. Obviously the first season starts off with a bang as Mm -hmm. you know, if you've seen it, it's a good start. And this one really doesn't have that, that moment. I mean, it's not terrible, obviously I'm, I'm still watching it, but uh, first season of the boys was, I was not expecting how good that would be. I guess that's all we watched. Wow, that was a quick one. But I guess we're going to go right into our first movie of 31 Days of Horror this year. This was my pick. As we mentioned on previous podcasts, Mark is sitting this one out. He's going to let us take the wheel and drive this month. So first one was mine. And I went with a movie that I had seen before. Specifically, I had watched it, I think in 2017 for 31 Days of Horror. And it was batshit crazy. And I felt it was right at home for for they call this a movie. That movie is a cult classic in some respects. It's Phantasm from 1979. Gentlemen, where are you coming from with Phantasm? I've never seen it before. 
I had seen reviews about it, and it seemed interesting, but I'm going to be honest, man. If I had never seen this movie, I don't think I would have been you know, upset. I don't think I would have been like, oh, man, I, I can't call myself a horror movie fan without having seen Phantasm. But there are a lot of Phantasm movies, right? There's like five of them. There are five Phantasm movies. Yeah, that's crazy. I don't know how, because this movie fucking sucked. <laughs> it didn't, you know, I'm, I'm being a little too harsh. Yeah, five movies. I think it's a little overkill, but now that I think about it, now that I say that, this movie definitely lends itself to unnecessary sequels. Mm-hmm. Right? It's almost like, what, like Puppet Master, where the first Puppet Master was probably like, decent, and then it yeah. just, it got sequel after sequel after sequel, just, and there's really no rhyme or reason as to why. This movie kind of falls in that category, I think. There's really no rhyme or reason to have any more than just one. Sure. But you, Mark? Yeah, so obviously I am not really into the horror genre like you guys, so I've never heard or seen this movie before. I took a guess when I looked it up on Shudder, which one we were watching, just in case, because I think I found that one said remastered, and I'm like, it's one of those ones that are just going to combine two movies. Like, I wasn't 100% sure, but... I think my main takeaway is I was just bored the entire time um, watching this movie. I don't know while watching it if I was in a bad mood or a bad place, but I was just I was bored until probably the last 20 minutes of the movie when they get to the the, uh, funeral home at the end and you you discover the weird batshit thing that's going on in the back room. Uh, And at that point, I'm like, oh, oh, I'm intrigued by this. But all the other stuff before that, I, I didn't really care or get into at all. But yeah, I wish I wish more of the movie delved into whatever that craziness was at the end. Like I said, it's always it's always 50-50 when I, I watch these movies because I'm going in completely blind most of the time. I'm I'm just glad that this one didn't suck completely. It was it was a fine movie, but I was checking the time more often than usual. Okay, yeah. So I just looked it up. I did review it in 2017. I gave it a 5 out of 10. Basically kind of said I didn't love it. Uh, If I had grown up with it, maybe I would have enjoyed it. But that was the first time I was watching it at that point. And it just kind of fell flat for me. I think the reason why you find it boring, Mark, is because there are two locations, more or less. And they continue to go back and forth through it. It is a, a long kind of ping-ponging between the funeral home and the house where it's just like all right well they get into the car now they're going to the funeral home then they're getting back in the car and they're going back to the house and immediately getting back in the car and going back to the funeral home it's just it's repetitive it's still batshit crazy though this is sort of the halloween three season of the witch sort of batshit crazy where they kind of give you everything and then you have to kind of pick up the pieces uh more or less because there's a lot of things in this there are dwarves there's interdimensional conspiracies tall man that pretends to be a woman that likes to fuck in the in the cemetery then there's maybe some dream sequences and blind fortune tellers and then lots of blonde women that all look the same that it's hard to discern which one is which because most of them don't get named until after the fact it's a weird one. And yeah, it's a surprising fact that this movie has spawned four sequels. Yeah. yeah, unless if those four sequels dive into that red planet with the dwarves more, I don't know what would make people keep going back to it. Because that, like I said, that's the only thing that caught my attention. Yeah, I'm this, not sure if they do. This movie probably ruled in 1979. It, it just 
dripped with 70s, man. It was the guys who had the long hair down to their shoulders. They had the bell bottoms. You had the fucking, probably the creepiest ice cream man of all time. Reg? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. My, my man had a ponytail, but was bald. Skullet. That's what they call it. They call is that it a what skullet. it is? A skullet? Ooh. Ooh. Again, that was probably cool in the 70s. My man, Reg. Oh, man. And he's keeping dead bodies in there. Who knows if he's selling to kids the next day? <laughs> well, the truck does get trashed, so it does. probably That's not. True. I finally got to see the inner workings of a 1970s ice cream truck, by the way. <laughs> it literally just has blocks of ice in it. It's not... It doesn't run on any other power. It's just nope. ice. It's, it's ice. <laughs> it's like someone delivered his, someone delivers him blocks of ice just to put into the into the ice cream truck. We've yeah. come so far. Our ice cream yeah. technology has really yeah, blow, advanced. I'll, I'll blow your mind, Dan. That's how refrigerators used to work. I know. I, well, <laughs> back in like 1890, whenever refrigeration was invented... <laughs> it was basically just blocks of ice. I get that. They they had the outhouses that had the like the cold storage kind of thing going on. Yeah. But I figured that we had harnessed electricity in the seven late seventies where we could just kind of have that refrigeration in an ice cream truck and not just giant hunks of ice. It it just reminded me of the uh how the Quickie Mart gets their ice. <laughs> or the expeditions to Alaska. You have to charge more for these bags of ice. We lost two more men out there. If you could think of a better way to get ice, I'd like to hear it. <laughs> if you could think of a better way to keep our ice cream cold. It, it, it's just super psychedelic. Like, this movie, if you are if you were on some shrooms, I'm sure it's a blast. Or it's a huge nightmare. I have no idea. Right? You're either going one way or the other. Yeah. Uh, it's very very Italian feeling, especially when they're in the mausoleum. <laughs> with the marble? There's, yeah, that with that white marble, the red yeah. drapes, just very giallo kind of style. Yeah, like, yeah. it's it's wild, man. This is a weird movie. That's the reason why I wanted to talk about it. It is. But, again, I, I don't think it's weird for... I think it's just weird for the sake of being weird. Like, there was no rhyme or reason to it. It's like, it's really off the wall in terms of its editing it's kind of all over the place yeah it, it, it's not bloody enough that's no. one of the problems i would uh, say that's true it's yeah. they, they have this one cool scene with one of the more iconic scenes from the movie i'd imagine with the mm -hmm. the, the, the mirror ball yeah. yeah the ball that attaches to your face and then drills a hole into it gushing blood so you know i'm sitting there i'm, I'm on the floor because i don't have a couch yet and I'm just watching the movie, and then the, the mirror ball attaches to some crony's face. Blood starts gushing out. I'm like, oh, here we go. Now we're now we're talking. It's we're gonna start seeing some blood, and that we don't really see too much after that. It's just like little spots here and there. Yeah, and most of it's yellow. That's right. Yeah, it's it's like a bile almost. Yeah. Can we talk about how the how first the bile thing blood looked like mustard? Oh, it was 100% mustard. <laughs> it, maybe honey Dijon mustard. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> it was a spicy mustard. I just remember thinking to myself, the first shot of the movie is of a really like below average looking guy getting laid. Uh -huh. And I thought to myself, they couldn't have found just like a better looking person. Like, <laughs> like, who is this guy? He looks like I I'm probably getting my Reiners mixed up. He kind of looked like Carl Reiner. You're, just, you're thinking of Rob Reiner. There we go. Uh, <laughs> he looked like a poor man's version of Rob Reiner. He just didn't. He wasn't a good looking guy. 
<laughs> it's Bill Cove, his now, only acting uh, credit. Understandably. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'm not an expert at having sex in graveyards, but I think the positions in the two cuts completely do not work anatomically. Nope. <laughs> uh, she's she's on top in the sh- in one shot, and then they're like leg legs are meeting in the other one, yeah. right? Yeah. They're like legs to legs. Yeah. If, it looks if, like she if she is on top, it looks like she's like just on top of him, going up and down, like sliding up and down his body. Yeah. Either way, even if 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 something if penetration was achieved, it's not fun for anyone <laughs> involved there. Not, yeah, not, her... not in the shot at the legs. That was. I'm like, her I legs are tightly to... closed. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you think you see that shot, and you're like, oh, okay, you know, it's a horror movie. You're gonna see some boobs. You're gonna there's obviously sex going on. They're they're doing the sex, as we say, and it's but it just it was almost reminiscent of the room. Like, maybe Tommy Wiseau took inspiration from this scene. Like, yeah, this is how it's done. Sure. <laughs> so, Phantasm, written and directed by Don Coscarelli, who directed four Phantasm films, as well as Bubba Hotep, The Beastmaster, and John Dies at the End. It stars A. Michael Baldwin, Bill Thornbury, Reggie Bannister, Kathy Lester, Kenneth V. Jones, Lynn Eastman Rossi, and as the tall man, Angus Scrim. Has an IMDb score of 6.8 and a Rotten Tomato score of 74%. Budget, $300,000, and it walked away from the box office with $11.9 million. That's a success, I'd say. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Gangbusters, baby. So, a couple of notes here. Spawned four sequels, and Angus Scrim and Reggie Bannister, who played Reg, appeared in each one. A. Michael Baldwin reprised his role as Michael in 3, 4, and 5, while he was replaced by James LaGrosse in Phantasm 2. Phantasm 5 Ravager released after Angus Scrim's death in 2016. And as for Angus Scrim, he is six foot four, originally a journalist, writing for TV Guide, among other publications, and he also wrote liner notes for Capitol Records and won himself a Grammy under the name Rory Guy. <laughs> Uh, for his liner notes work. So that was a little bit of an interesting tidbit. Does it mention when he learned how to walk? Because I feel <laughs> like he learned how to walk at a very late age. I'm not sure. I know he's supposed to be wearing platform shoes in here to make him look even taller. So maybe okay. that's what you're noticing, is his unfamiliar with platform shoes. Okay. Yeah, that makes more sense, because the way he walks in this movie... It's almost as if the director's telling him, like, all right, now put one step forward yeah. and another. Okay, <laughs> there you go. Now you're moving. He kind of he kind of moves like a like a Gundam, right? Just, <laughs> just <laughs> very deliberate. If, oh, every steps. step is del- is deliberate. Yes, one hundred percent. All right, you guys you guys want to get into the plot? Yeah, sure. Yeah, let's do it. Well, what do you got for us, Dan? All right, so as I always do, I'm here to tell you about our good friend Tia and her podcast, Top Ten with Tia. It's a weekly podcast where Tia and her friends get together and they discuss top ten lists, top ten horror movies, actors, deaths. I don't know if they've ever done that, but I hope they do it for the month of October. So you can find them at Geek Vibes Nation, and you can also follow her on Twitter at TC underscore Stark. Go follow her. She's a good friend of the podcast and just a good person overall. Okay, great. And we are going to take a step back, take a break. But while we do, we're going to play some notes from Friends of the Podcast. So we will be right back. 
Hey everyone, this is Steve. And this is Adam. And we're part of the Hop Nation USA podcast. Pittsburgh's number three craft beer podcast. Join us every Friday for new beer reviews. We'll talk about the news, history, and homebrewing. Plus, we'll sit down with the best brewers and industry personalities that'll have us. So whether you're a casual drinker, a hazy boy hophead, or even if you're a whale hunting cellar hoarder, just search Hop Nation USA on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher and join the nation. Oh, hi. Didn't see you there. It's me, George, from the best little horror house in Philly, the show where we talk about the best horror movie ever made, according to our guest at least. We've talked about groundbreaking classics like Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Alien, but we've also got a lot of great ones coming up, including some very fun guests like Len Kabazinski of Swamp Zombies and Red Letter Media fame, Caroline Williams, the star of Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, and Chase Williamson from John Dies at the End. So make sure you're subscribe to the best little horror house in philly and i'll see you boils and ghouls over there and welcome back and now it's time to get into the plot of phantasm from 1979 we open on two people fucking best way to start a horror movie specifically they're fucking in a graveyard arguably the sexiest place in the world we learn the guy's name is tommy and we do not learn the girl's name but we see some boobage which i believe is a body double officially but after he comes, she stabs him in the chest, and then she turns into an old man, question mark? Do we know? Do we have confirmation on Climax? I believe he does. I doubt she does. Okay. Okay, that makes sense. I mean, he, he does say, that was good, baby. Yeah. So I'm assuming, was that 70 slang for, I just came? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm assuming so. Okay. Yeah. Gross. That was groovy. (laughs) Yeah, we were just at the end of groovy, I'm assuming, right? Yeah. As soon as 12 o'clock hit on December 31st, 1979, no one used groovy anymore. (laughs) It's true. Had to retire it. Put it up in the rafters. (laughs) So then we cut to the funeral for Tommy. Jody and Reg, old friends meet up, talk about how it's crazy that Tommy died. And apparently the story is that Tommy killed himself. It was kind of impressive to do, being stabbed to death in the cemetery. (laughs) <laughs> then uh, Jody and Reg, they part. Jody says he has to go visit some people, which he goes into the mausoleum, which is very Italian, giallo-looking, white marble, red drapes, etc. And he starts hearing some noises that sound like beast-like skittering around. And he finds his parents' resting site. And outside, a kid on a motorbike speeds around all the headstones until it stalls out. As he tries to get the bike started again, he sees glimpses of mysterious cloaked figures hiding behind headstones. Back in the mausoleum, Jody goes to investigate the noises that he continues to hear. He sees similarly cloaked figures stuck around a corner and continues to follow. But then, a tall funeral director pops out of nowhere and puts his hand on Jody's shoulder to tell him that the funeral is about to begin. He says it, like, very shitty, right? Like, no one would ever talk about it that way. I forget yeah. how he says it. It's it's like a through a sneer. He's like, the funeral is about to begin. Yeah. yeah. Like, not, I'm sorry for the loss of your friend. Uh, we're about to start. Like, it's about to begin. Get in here right now. Oh, yeah. shit. All right. It's the more like, what the fuck are you doing in this mausoleum? Was this his first, Angus's first credit to acting? No. Oh, okay. He had a couple that, here and there, but more like, yeah, maybe three or four. But for the most part, this was like his biggest role, I would say. Got it. Okay. Yeah. I, I know we're supposed to understand that all people in horror movies are idiots, but I think the last thing I would do is follow a hooded figure in a mausoleum. yeah but i would follow because that's fucking weird and i need to see what's going on there 
But what's best case? What best case case scenario? What's happening at the end of I'm, that? <laughs> I'm hoping a ritual of some sort. I want to see if there's a ritual going on. But yeah, I mean nothing good. Yeah. No, but I, I agree with I, Mark. I'd be like, you know what? I am not the hero in this horror movie, and I'm exiting. <laughs> Well, then you'd never just, find out. You would never see what happened. I'd pretend like it, I never even saw anything. Like, nope, nope. <laughs> really? So so it, it wouldn't even pique your curiosity? It's none of my fucking business. <laughs> <laughs> you, yeah, this isn't my business. Uh, you, what you guys do in the funeral parlor stays in the funeral parlor. Uh, like the guy no. from Pulp Fiction who's like, my name oh, is yeah. Paul, and this shit's between y'all. <laughs> <laughs> No, I I don't know. I mean, to me, I'm more drawn to that stuff, which is probably why I would die immediately, right? I would be Tommy, essentially. I'd be the first to die without getting laid. Mm -hmm. I would just follow a a weird, creepy person into the back of a a room and like, oh, well, thanks for making my job easier, Shank. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, you, come here. Okay. Okay. <laughs> It'd be like that. Uh, was that a Geico commercial where all the they all run into the shed full of chainsaws yeah. and the yeah. killer's just in there. Right. Yeah. Like, the cars there or the yeah. chainsaws or the uh, the the, yeah. the shed. Yeah, instead of going to the car, they go to the shed with chainsaws. Well, you know what they say, man. Curiosity killed the cat. So yeah, that's what that's would exactly happen. Exactly what they said. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be dead. So Reg and Jody then attend the funeral, mentioning that Jody's brother wasn't invited to the funeral. And that he had nightmares after he attended his parents' funeral. Then Jody and Reg act as pallbearers outside, taking Tommy's body out of the hearse and to his resting place. Meanwhile, a kid, who we assume is Jody's brother at this point, watches from afar with a pair of binoculars, not sunglasses. That'd be Uh, awesome. Yeah, (laughs) that'd be much harder to see. (laughs) I can't see a thing with these damn things. (laughs) Why did I even bring these? It's not even sunny out. It's raining. You Corey Hart? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> after the funeral ends and jody and reg leave the kid watches as the funeral director lifts the casket single-handedly and tosses it in the back of the hearse as if there was no problem whatsoever so then michael the kid then goes to an old fortune teller michael tells the old fortune teller who doesn't speak she only speaks through her proxy granddaughter that he's afraid that he tells her that he's afraid that his brother is going to leave and then we cut to jody and michael arriving at home in jody's sweet muscle car and michael pops up out of the i think the driver's side because he drives through this whole fucking movie and he's like yeah. 13 and they don't like to pay it no mind and jody's so he, just drunk the whole movie that's why. <laughs> well he is he spends well, a lot of time in that bar that's that was one thing i was thinking about how mike is like he, they constantly put him in danger right jody lets him drive his muscle car gives him a shock a fully loaded shotgun a handgun and i think a knife at one point I don't think he gives him the knife. Oh, Mike he has the knife. the knife. Yes. Yeah. So, man, I mean, this kid has just, like, no regard for safety. And his older brother, who's supposed to look out for him, has even less regard for his brother's <laughs> safety. Yeah. It's definitely, like, like, latchkey kid 70s version. Yeah. <laughs> latchkey kid in the 90s was like, well, we're just going to we're gonna drink Surge all day and watch cartoons. <laughs> 70s was, let's smoke cigarettes and drink malt liquor oh, while yeah. I work on my brother's hot rod. I, he defi- he's definitely had his first sip of beer when he was like three. <laughs> right? Before his dad died of a drunk driving accident, for yeah. sure. <laughs> like, oh, co- come get your dad a beer. It's like a, you know, a, yeah, Colt 45 or whatever. Right. Just pounding him down with his old man. Well, it's more than likely because they mentioned that the parents had a funeral. 
Like, yeah. he freaked out at his parents' funeral. So it's more than likely that they dr- died in a drunk driving accident, right? Yeah, 100%. Because, I mean, Mothers Against Drunk, drunk Driving drive. wasn't around then. So everyone was just drunk driving in the 70s. That's what they don't teach you guys mm. in, in the history books. In the 70s, everyone drank and drove. Everyone. Yep. And if they didn't, they were squares. <laughs> that's right. That's the only, only cool people to drink and drive. So that's what my dad told me. He was like, yeah, if you weren't, if the cop pulled you over and you weren't drunk, they gave you beer. Like, what are you doing <laughs> out here, son? Here, take this six pack. I, I want to watch you pound it right here. <laughs> Michael pops up out of the car and he says he thinks there's something wrong with one of the car's headers. So then he goes onto the car to work on it. While he's working on the car, Jody's friend Toby comes by. And Jody talks about how much he hates the town and he's going to dump Michael off with her aunt. As mentioned, Michael is right there. But he's Jody's right talking there. about him like he isn't. He <laughs> and he looks mentioned. up to him, right? Yeah. Uh, Michael looks up to Jody. He is my best friend. <laughs> he's like, I can't wait to dump him off with my aunt. Because he's always following me around. Which, which is a very, it's a very valid point. Yeah. Because I know if my sisters constantly followed me around, I would ditch them the first sign I could, or the first chance I could. Yeah. Like, oh, we're going to go to the park and then just run run away. I think there is, like, have a talk with him. He's like, dude, you can't be following me around. And, and Michael, I don't know if, if he has, like, time travel speed. Because <laughs> whenever whenever Jody goes somewhere, it's in his fucking car. And Michael is right behind him. He's probably on the dirt bike. They never show that, though. That's true. They never show it. It's just him walking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because he shows up at the at the bar like seconds after Jody yeah. pulls up. I thought he was going to be the killer of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, he's got the killer stalking down to a, a science. Yeah, that, that's what the sequels are, Dan. Oh, okay. <laughs> I've never watched the sequel. No, <laughs> I, I can't imagine many people. I guess enough people have, right? This is like, people, people love this movie. There's a nostalgia for this movie. Is it the movie or the tall man? I mean, that is probably what they, yeah, that's probably what they're clinging to at that point. But okay. I mean, four sequels, I mean. Yeah, I don't know, man. I don't get it. I guess it's just, it's weird enough to have caught the eye of enough people. Yeah. So then the wild editing of this movie reveals that this was all a flashback and he's been relaying this to the fortune teller. And through her po- proxy of a granddaughter, the fortune teller tells Michael that he shouldn't worry. If Jody leaves, he will take Michael with him. Then Michael tells her that he's worried about something that he did. He then tells her about seeing the funeral director pick up the casket, and when he tries to drive away on his bike, the tall man uses some sort of telekinesis to knock Michael off the bike. The granddaughter then tells Michael her grandmother wants him to play a game. So a box magically appears on the table, and she tells him to put his hand in it. When he does, the box clamps onto his hand, and then the more he struggles, the more it tightens its grip. So the granddaughter continues to tell him not to fear, and when he finally does, the box releases his hand. She tells him that his his fear is the enemy. This is Dune. Is that not that's isn't that not a scene from Dune? Really? No idea. Oh, you've never seen Dune. I've never seen Dune. That that is, I mean, Dune came out in the '80s, obviously, because you have the the naked sting. But that that scene, I I I guess the book came out prior to the movie, I would imagine. So. I, w- I don't know if it ripped directly from the book, but that, that scene... Mark, did you see it? No. Okay, god damn it. I was just making a joke <laughs> about a naked sting. Oh, he's he's half naked. He's got, like, sweet oh. leather boxers or something. I don't <laughs> know. Are, are we talking singer sting, surfer sting, or pro sting? Which uh, sting are we talking? Singer sting, yes. Wait, there's a sting. surfer sting? 
Yes. Yeah, that, that's what they call the uh, the blonde thing before one. he went pro and wrestled. Yeah. Oh, okay. With the I thought he was an actual surfer. He no, looked like uh, Ultimate Warrior esque. Yeah. Yeah. If I'm thinking of the right guy. Yeah. But yeah. no. But he had blonde hair and all that, so that's why. He home surfer <laughs> yeah this this was singer sting okay so yeah just it, you could google it you'll see him you'll, you'll see in all his glory but <laughs> i've uh, already done it no I'm uh, <laughs> <laughs> one step ahead you bastard it's directly from the movie the guy is told to put his hand into a box and that fear is the enemy yeah i'm pretty oh, sure we, the dune book was probably out before this movie it would have to have been i, I mean i don't know for sure but dune's a pretty popular series yeah yeah i think i don't know who ripped off who but and it's in the same it would be wild if dune ripped off phantasm (laughs) right of all the movie it's not even in the same genre yeah david lynch watching phantasm 1979 like oh i can't wait to use this in another movie (laughs) genius (laughs) yeah so so if that scene is in the book the book was written in 1965 so it's more likely phantasm would the writer was a fan of Dune. Did you guys hate the grandmother? Uh, she really didn't make much of an impression on me. Yeah, I didn't like her. She <laughs> she seemed like she was faking it. I was oh, yeah? I was slightly yeah. distracted by the granddaughter, whether that was a tattoo or star or a mole on her face. I thought it was I a mole because Jen kept saying like, why does she have a star on her face? Like that's not a star. Stop being insensitive, Jen. Yeah. It's a, a star because the grandmother has a star on her forehead. Yeah, it's a star. So I, is that like her third eye? Maybe on her cheek, which is a little weird. Yeah, but it. Well, no, the grandmother had it right smack dab in the yeah. middle. Yeah. Oh, the, the the granddaughter had yeah. it on the cheek. Okay, but so yeah, I I thought the grandmother was faking it. Thought thought she was full of shit, like she was just conning Mike out of money. She might be, but she did let that make that box appear out of nowhere. She, so. she did. So, but then again, mirrors could have been mirrors. Look. This whole movie, let's spoil the ending. This whole movie is a dream, right? Oh, that yeah, exactly. So, so he everything everything can be explained away of like, but yeah, that really didn't happen though. Right. Yeah. And no. <laughs> so there and is I love no how, how how agreeable he is to that appearing. He right. goes, oh, what is that? And he's like, don't worry about it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, we see how how he handles himself. Right, I guess this is just a regular day in the park for Mike. Oh, yep. no danger. I put my hand in. <laughs> so then we get a quick scene of someone who I'm not sure might be the granddaughter walking into the cemetery during the day. Again, every single woman besides the grandmother in this movie has the same blonde haircut. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't tell who was who. There's like the villain, the girl in lavender, and then like three other people that all look exactly the same. But, and they're all named like Tiffany or something like that. Sally, Susie, granddaughter—I don't even know who was named. That's and, it, they all began with an S. Sally yeah. and Susie and Sarah. Yeah. Uh, I, I love how they just gave up on naming characters because the one brother comes in and he's like, "I found Sally and Susie and three other girls I didn't know." <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's like the biggest like hand wave of of loose ends. It's like, well, what happened to those girls? Oh yeah, they just I just ex- to help them escape through the back, and they ran off into the woods. Like, <laughs> and it's just like someone just like. Right, that's the end of that chapter. <laughs> Don't have to pay those actresses anymore. Well, yep. again, it's, essentially, it's Mike not being able to come up with names in his uh, subconscious. Yeah, okay, sure. Sally and Susie and other girls' names. 
Well, yeah, again, that's another thing that could just be waved away because it's a dream, right? Why do all yeah. the girls have blonde hair? Because he saw one, so he's created copies of it in his head, right? There you go, yeah. It then transitions to Reg and Jody having a jam session on the porch, but because of the weird editing, it seems like this is happening at the funeral home, but it's not. <laughs> it's, it's not a good jam session either. I don't know what they're jamming out to. But it does foreshadow the tuning forks, which for some reason is a thing. And it really makes no sense. Nope, not at all. <laughs> it's a bad payoff. <laughs> so the girl walks into the mausoleum and opens the door with a bright light behind it. And she opens it and then lets out a scream. Then we cut to Jody driving to Dune's Cantina with Michael following him on foot, apparently. Yep. And Jody goes into the bar, immediately starts a conversation with the girl that likes to fuck in the cemetery. And they immediately go to the cemetery to fuck with Michael following. Michael watches as his brother and this girl almost fuck, but he starts hearing beast-like noises coming from the darkness. As he goes to investigate, a little hooded figure starts running towards him. So Michael runs, screaming past Jody, who gets a, who's got a mouthful of panties. <laughs> That's a pretty cool shot. What the hell is that? <laughs> With a mouthful of panties. The tall, the tall man goes above and beyond, though, because he's technically the woman, right? Well, he, well, he, he wears just... them for comfort. Well, I'm just saying that he's... Yeah, so not only has he fucked Tommy, he's getting ready to fuck Jody, too. Oh, that's true. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, so maybe... Well, now, do we know for sure it's the same person? Or is it like an hallucina hallucination? Well, at the end, he... At the end, he stabs... As the girl in Lavender, he stabs Reg. And then it reveals mm -hmm. himself to be the tall man. So, because he has like some psychic abilities, so I'm assuming he's just like. You could argue that he's creating hallucinations, and then just the reveal is showing is like, oh, it was all in their mind to begin with. Right. You could so argue it... that, but the way it's edited and the way it plays out is that this girl exists, but he is the girl. So right. he's kind of like a a uh, a woman cop that's on vice and prosing as a prostitute and then she goes through with the entire thing well because <laughs> the chief tells her she has to like yeah. by any means necessary right like you gotta you gotta make sure you have sex and the money is exchanged and then you arrest well can't we just have the money no sex <laughs> first always sex first remember we're watching i mean tall man's always watching. like these guys gotta come and then I kill them. All right. Yeah. Some people that I'm sure that's a real thing, by the way. <laughs> I can't kill someone unless I know they've they finished. <laughs> Listen, maybe, maybe this is a tall man's kink. I'm not here yeah. to kink shame. No, we don't do that here at the uh, that here. Jamie. Like, this is a no kink shame zone. Before I help these people shuffle off this mortal coil, I got to give them one good release. <laughs> that's how I get off. <laughs> if, if your kinks is to be a praying mantis, then go ahead and do it. As long as it's not me. Yep. Uh, so uh, Jody chases after Michael, and Michael tells him something was after him. Jody says it was probably a gopher, and then gives Michael his car keys and tells him to go home. <laughs> I, at that point, Jen actually said out loud, "Did he just give him his car?" <laughs> like, yeah, I, I think so. Like that's how badly Jody wanted to get laid. Like, just, yeah. just go. Go drive, even though you don't have a license. Go, go put yourself. I'll figure in out how to get home later. <laughs> right. You, I'm, assuming, you... I'm assuming there's like one road in this town, right. and like it's, <laughs> it all leads like, to the one spot. Everything's within a mile of each other, right? Yeah, the cantina, his house, the cemetery. Yeah, they're probably within a few miles. Because at the end, he does run to the cemetery. 
Right. He runs to, he he runs to the cemetery and he also runs to the abandoned mine shaft. But again, like Mike operates on some sort of time physics shift or something where he can just hop, skip, and jump to wherever he pleases in this town. Right. Everyone else has to drive. He can just kind of <laughs> wish himself somewhere. Like, oh, I got to go to the mines. Two minutes later, I'm at the mines. <laughs> He's like Nightcrawler. Mike goes off with his car key, with Jody's car keys. When Jody tries to make it back to his girl, she's nowhere to be found. Back home, Michael has a nightmare of the tall man looming over his bed. The next day, Jody heads back to the bar as Michael follows him, and then Michael heads into town by himself. As he's walking around the shops, Michael spots the tall man acting super weird, just kind of like really coming in his pants about the cold <laughs> coming out of Reg's ice cream truck. Not, not knowing how to walk, just not <laughs> figuring out he he was a robot like you know how everyone makes the joke how um the, the guy from facebook zuckerberg is an alien es- yeah. essentially he's a lizard like oh act like a human that's how the <laughs> tall man is like this is how humans walk right with long <laughs> deliberate strides and i <laughs> this like everything is just super long his his arms are long and just it looks like he he walks five feet with one step yeah. My favorite little short moment of this was back at the bar when he returns and talks to the bartender. And they basically have a conversation that didn't need to be there that was just like, women, am I right? <laughs> <laughs> and Reggie is there, and he's an ice cream man. But it's it's such a weird moment because, again, it's, cause it's a dream, so it makes more sense if it's a dream. But Reggie's there at, like, it's paid no mind that that he's actually in this scene, like at, <laughs> on the street. It's like, oh yeah, that's one of our four main characters, but he's just in the background. <laughs> well, I didn't even think he was someone of consequence. Yeah. Like, he showed up for the jam session. I was like, oh, he's just like a friend or whatever. I didn't know he would be in the movie after this mm-hmm. because yeah, they, they don't really make him out to be a main character. Yeah. But it's just a weird moment where it's like, oh, yeah, one of our four principles just there. <laughs> can, can we like, if we ever decide to make a movie, can we just agree that no man with a skullet should be a lead character? 100 percent. OK, good. That's that should be an unwritten rule for every <laughs> movie going forward and all the time. So Jody is still hanging out at the bar talking to the bartender about the girl he left with the night before. And then at home, Michael works on the car in the garage when he starts hearing the weird beastly noises again. Suddenly, the car starts to shake and eventually falls off the jack and almost crushes Michael. He then sees a pair of feet near the car, so he smacks them with a hammer. And it turns out to be his brother, Jody. So did the whole thing with the jack not happen? Right, because he got pinned. Yeah, he got pinned, and then all of a sudden he was able to get out from under the car like, like nothing. And Jody didn't believe him. Yeah, so I'm assuming... That he didn't see his car crash off the jack onto the floor. Yeah, I guess not. But again, putting Michael in danger. Mm-hmm. And Michael says the things that tried to get him last night came back or are trying to get him again. And Jody doesn't believe him. So Michael sneaks out with a knife and heads to the cemetery. At the cemetery, he manages to break into the basement of the funeral home and starts snooping around. Gravedigger shows up to investigate the noise and Michael hides in one of the caskets. So while the gravedigger is looking through the room, the tall man shows up and the gravedigger walks back out before he sees Michael. So Michael sneaks out into the mausoleum and then gets caught by the gravedigger who starts grappling with him and then he grabs him, but Michael bites him in the arm and manages to break free. Just then, a weird mirrored ball with spikes comes flying into the scene and embeds itself into the gravedigger's head. 
and drills a hole into it and completely draining of his blood and just fountains of blood. And where this mirrored ball came from, who knows? <laughs> it's the coolest part of the movie. Yeah. And they it's so underutilized. Yeah. It shows up here and it shows up at the end. Yeah, that's but it. It's Stonehenge's monument in Halloween 3. It's like, yeah. why is this here? It, it, but it's one of the focal points of the the artwork for the yeah. movie. It's sure. a giant metal ball with faces around it. And it's only used twice. And it mm-hmm. should have... That's one of the biggest downfalls of this movie. That thing should have been used at least four or five times. Yeah. It should have been like his go-to move. Yeah. It should have been used on Reggie. For mm-hmm. sure, Reggie. One of the nameless girls. Yeah. And the grave digger. And just some rando. Who cares? Well, that's how they should have gotten the tall man with it. Yeah, that, yeah, that would have been a much better way to finish it. Yeah. But no. by his own petard. Exactly. But instead, he just falls down a mine shaft, and then Jody Wiley Coyote's a giant boulder <laughs> to fall into it. <laughs> a How convenient. Luck. Right. Just convenience. It's like, man, I got one shot at this. Perfect <laughs> strike. With a boulder just big enough to yep. fit over the, the hole. What what luck. <laughs> this definitely didn't happen in 2020, right? <laughs> no, no. No, I don't think so. Like in 2020, it would have like Jody would have accidentally got caught on top of the boulder and rolled over and on into its path. <laughs> he 100% would have hit Michael with it. <laughs> right? Michael wouldn't yeah. have gotten out of the way in time. He would have ran like the girls do in uh, Prometheus, in a straight line. <laughs> right. Yeah, serpentine, man. Just go to the side <laughs> a little bit. He'd be fine. After the gravedigger dies, the tall man comes around the corner and then chases Michael through the funeral home. Michael manages to close a heavy door behind him with the tall man's fingers stuck in the door. So Michael cuts at it with his fingers with a knife and then chops off one of them and they bleed a yellowish blood. So Michael takes one of the fingers that's still kind of moving around as proof and then a few short hooded creatures chase after him until he manages to jump out the window he broke to get in. So Michael runs home and puts the finger in a box and waits for Jody with a shotgun. Michael shows Jody the finger and then tells him about what he saw at the cemetery on the day of Tommy's funeral. Jody doesn't 100% believe him, but tells him to go get the finger and they'll figure this thing out. So when Michael goes back upstairs to his room to get the box, he notices it's not moving. So he opens it up and the finger has been replaced with a demonic housefly, about like the size of a hand. He catches the fly in his own jacket and then him and Jody try and shove it down the garbage disposal. Seems like it worked. But as they're doing this, Red shows up and asks Michael if he wants to ride along for the day in his in his ice cream truck. And then all of a sudden the fly flies out of the disposal and starts attacking them again. Jody manages to pull it off Michael and puts it back down the garbage disposal and finally kills it. Jody decides that it's time to really figure everything out. So he gives Michael a shotgun and a quick gun safety lesson and then heads to the funeral home to investigate. It, that is a cool line. I will give that movie this, where it's uh, there's there's no such thing as a warning. Or like warning shots are bullshit. <laughs> that's what he says. That's a cool line. If you aim it, you intend to kill someone. Yeah, well, that's pretty true, actually. Yeah. That's usually how guns work. It's not terrible gun safety advice. Only point mm-hmm. at something that you're willing to shoot, willing to kill. Yes, that is that is sound advice for sure. Mm-hmm. Jody then gets to the funeral home, goes in through the window that Michael broke, and then gets attacked by one of those hooded figures. He manages to toss it off of him and then escapes. He gets chased by the hearse, which he manages to shoot at a couple of times with a handgun. And then Mike pulls up in Jody's car, and Jody hops in, and they get chased by the hearse. 
And it seems like nobody's driving the hearse as the hearse tries to sidle up alongside of them and tries to drive them off the road. Jody hangs out the side of his car, shooting at it with a shotgun. After a couple shots, the hearse, the hearse swerves off the road and smashes into a tree. Jody and Mike pull over and inspect the crash site. When they open the door, they find that a dwarf was behind the wheel and was run through with a tree branch, bleeding yellow blood. Upon further inspection, the dwarf looks like Tommy. The assumption here is that the tall man is taking the bodies and reanimating them as dwarves. Jody calls Reg, and Reg comes with his ice cream truck, and they put the dwarf in the back and go back to the house. I, I love that the thing he's most worried about in this scene, Reg, is will it damage his ice cream for the kids in the morning? Mm-hmm. Like, not that mm-hmm. the dwarf is Tommy or any of the other crazy stuff. He's like, what if he messes up the ice cream? Wow. <laughs> hey, man, 1979 <laughs> was a recession. He's got to think about his bottom line. Yeah, and from what I've read... The ice cream business, ruthless, all right? There's other right, ice man. cream men out there. They're they're vying for the same block you are, dude. He's like an independent business owner. There's gonna Big ice cream's just going to come up and take it, his spot before you know it. Yeah. The good oh, humor man's yeah. going to roll into town. I was just going to say, before the good humor man takes over the the, uh, the corner, yeah, it's a, it's a war out there, Mark. Mm-hmm. It's a delicious frozen treat war. <laughs> And Mr. Softy's just got to cut someone sometimes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Those snow cones, dude, they they double as uh, weapons, all right? Get a nice, like, uh, road rash if someone tries to <laughs> rub one of those against you. Yeah, man, it's it's no joke, all right? <laughs> I, 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 can, I would like to have seen that, Reggie fighting off other ice cream men. <laughs> <laughs> That's a movie that I'd watch. Yeah, hell yeah. Are, are we talking, like, road rash style or twisted metal? I, I want to see some, like, hand-to-hand combat with the ice cream used. So, so Fury like, Road style. Fury sort Road. of. And Fury. with, like, a little bit of Home Alone thrown in there. Like, <laughs> maybe some contraptions that throw ice cream, like, almost like catapult ice cream at the other ice cream men. I was like, oh, you know, like, you know, like you said, good humor's coming in, and it's it's Reggie's good time ice cream truck. Or whatever, <laughs> I don't know. And he's going to war, man, and he's they they don't they underestimate Reggie. I, I mean, the 70s were a different time, but I think having an ice cream truck called Reggie's Good Time Ice Cream Truck <laughs> would not go over well with parents in neighborhoods. Well, you never know. But one thing is for sure, in this war, Reggie is doing a ton of blow. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah, right? for sure. <laughs> Right, because he's got he's to gotta be alert at all times. <laughs> he's just no launching sleep. gorilla attacks. No the ice cream man, man. <laughs> he changes the ice cream uh, song that everyone knows mm-hmm. to like the uh, Flight of the Valkyrie <laughs> when, when he comes around. So Reg follows them back to the house and gets a jump scare from Myrtle, someone we've never met before. <laughs> well, I guess it's like the housekeeper or something like that. She's the... super sassy, whoever she is. Yeah. But she's literally in this this one scene for this jump scare, and that's it. So back at the house, they start to formulate a plan. Reg just wants to stomp the tall man. And Jody says that they need to keep Mike safe. So Reg drives Mike to Sally's antique shop. Another woman we've never met before, and we are an hour into this movie. <laughs> just introducing people. Yeah. We're like, we have a half hour left of this movie, and we're cre- we're bringing characters into the mix. At the antique shop, Mike starts to go through some of the stuff and comes across a picture of the tall man that winds up looking right back at Mike. So Mike gets freaked out and demands that Sally brings him back home. As Reg drives back from dropping off Mike, the dwarf in the back starts to wake up and makes a ruckus. 
Jody shuts his eyes for a moment back at home and has a dream of being in the mausoleum and the tall man coming towards him and then being attacked by a bunch of bodies coming out of their resting places. Back in Sally's car and some other woman with Sally take Mike home and then happen upon a Regis truck, which has crashed onto its side. Mike goes to investigate and see that the dwarf has escaped and Reg is nowhere to be found. Mike jumps back into the car with the girls and the man they drive away, but they're too slow and stupid. So while an unseen creature tries to open the door from the outside, they open the door for it. And a team of dwarves attacks <laughs> right. all three of them. I totally forgot about that. Why would you open the door? It's the stupidest <laughs> thing know. ever. If something's trying to get in, let me just let it in. <laughs> Maybe it's the, what did they think it was? A gopher? The, what did uh, uh, Jody think it was? A gopher, yeah. Yeah. Oh, maybe it's a gopher. Stop Stop thinking it's a goddamn gopher. <laughs> so Mike manages to break out the window and the girls and the dwarves drive away. The girl's screaming as the car leaves. Mike runs all the way back to the house and tells Jody that the, war the dwarves got the girls. So Jody tells Mike that he has to keep him safe. So he locks him in the bedroom and jams the door shut with the screwdriver. And then Mike tries to plan his escape. He's got a hammer, he's got a shotgun shell, and a thumbtack. So he fashions them together, putting the thumbtack on the, at the bottom of the shotgun shell and then fastening it to the, the hammer, and then smacks the shotgun shell against the door, causing a very realistic explosion. Probably Mike could runs, have just gone out the window. <laughs> probably. Could have fashioned a, a rope bed sheet sort of oh, thing. Oh, yeah. 100%, right? And you don't have to destroy your house. Yeah. He, <laughs> it's like the effects that you would see in, like, a trip to the moon, that silent film. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just a little unnecessary, I think. That's all. Just smoke bomb. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, yeah, man. I mean, smart, but uh, it's going to destroy the resale value of the house. Sure. It looked like a pretty shitty door, too, though. Yeah, it was like cardboard, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Particle board. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, uh, the 70s, you know. Yeah. Cheap. Don't make them like they used to, right? <laughs> So Mike runs down the steps to try and catch up to Jody, who leaves in the car. Uh, so Mike loads up a gun and goes to head out, but is met at the door by the tall man, who tells him he's been waiting for him, and then picks him up by his collar and starts walking him out and tosses him in the back of the hearse. So Jody heads to the cemetery, with the hearse shortly behind him. Mike tries to get out of the back of the hearse. First he tries to kick the window out, then he takes out the gun and successfully shoots out the window, and then shoots the back tire out through the floor. As the hearse goes careening off the road, Mike manages to jump out the broken window, and the hearse hits a fence and blows up. Jody, now in the mausoleum, finds his dad's casket and opens it. Shortly after, Mike walks into the mausoleum and sees his dad's casket on the ground, so he opens it and sees that it is empty. So Mike panics and runs and then sees the mirrored ball come towards him with its spikes ready for him, but then Jody comes out from nowhere and shoots the ball with a shotgun, and the ball explodes into pieces. Boo! <laughs> And so ends the most interesting part of this movie. <laughs> yeah, we hardly knew ye. So Jody and Mike prepare to walk into the back room of the mausoleum when Reg jumps out of nowhere. He says that he's been hiding in a casket the whole time, and he manages to sneak out Sue and Sally and a few other girls in an effort to wash the plot's hands of those loose ends. <laughs> Did anyone else think that this was like a setup when Reggie came in? Well, he's I, obviously dead, right? <laughs> it would have made a lot more sense if it was like, boy... Right. yeah that would have been so much cooler than instead of reggie actually being alive <laughs> i was in a casket the whole time guys all right i, did, I pulled the old uh, casket the hiding in the casket gag so jody opens the door to the back of the museum of the mausoleum and it's a blindingly white room with a bunch of barrels of what appears to be two silver posts jody looks into the barrels and he says he sees dwarves in there i guess they're kind of cooking in there you know they're yeah, kind of getting squeezed down 
yeah, th- this is the moment where I sat up and was like, oh, what's this? I was I was <laughs> too know? far gone at this point, Mark. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. And (laughs) Mike realizes that the posts are either ends of a portal. So Mike walks through the portal and sees a desert planet where a whole bunch of dwarves are walking in a line. So Jody sticks his hand through the portal and pulls Mike back out of the portal. Mike realizes that the dwarves are being used for slave labor and they need to be the size they are because of the gravity of their home planet and the heat, apparently. What a weird subplot to introduce with 10 minutes left in the movie. And Reg just completely understands it. He's like, yeah, that makes perfect sense. <laughs> it's like, all right, well, you didn't have to be all that on board with it. <laughs> right. I, I get, I think at this point with the shit that you've seen, it's one of those things where nothing would surprise you. Yeah. But maybe don't be all on board, like you said. Like, oh my God, are you serious? Or like, oh, oh what is going on? You know, just still, it's still weird, dude. Yeah. <laughs> It's like, what slave labor are they doing? Are they like a sweatshop? It's like, right. Are they making Mining? IPhones? Yeah, what are they doing? <laughs> yeah, like Reggie's like, oh, of course, slave labor. Knew it. It's so simple. <laughs> right. It serves no purpose for the greater overall arc of the of the story and the funeral home, really. Yeah. The funeral home doesn't run on some alternate power source. No. Not at all, because as we see, the tall man lifts bit caskets up, but like in one hand, like a six pack. Right. And they're not, and it's not like these are the Oompa Loompas who take care of the chocolate factory. Yeah. They're just there. They're there to do his evil bidding. Yeah. It seems like the only thing they're there to do is to prevent people from walking in on the plan to do what they're there to do, <laughs> right. which is which to keep is... people away from what they're there to do. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so so quick question: What are they mining, or what are they getting from this planet? I don't know. I mean, it as far as we can tell, they're just walking in a line. Right, it's it's a barren planet. Yeah. Right, it's a it's like a red sea of uh of just wasteland. Yep. So There's what a could they? Straight line of dwarves. What could they be getting? Other dwarves? Maybe. Are they conquering other dwarven planets? I guess we're gonna have to watch Phantasm Two to find out. They definitely don't delve into that. No way that they do <laughs> I'd that. I'd be surprised. Yeah, this was just like they were hopped up on something when they were writing this. Like, and then, man, then there's this fucking alternate <laughs> dimension dude. And like they send the dwarves down there. Well, what do they get, man? I don't fucking know. Like stuff. Why does it got to be something? Just put it in there, man. All right, that's fine. And it's like apparently <laughs> Cheech and Chong are writing this, but... <laughs> But that, I mean, that would make more sense than just, like, people actually writing. And then they go into an alternate dimension where the dwarves are mining something or getting something. Like, what is it? I don't know. Just put it down. I, I, I would imagine you'd have to be high to have written that. <laughs> like, why are you busting my balls? Just write it down. <laughs> We're almost done here, man. So suddenly the lights go out in the room. Mike has a lighter, so he lights it and is face-to-face with a dwarf who attacks Mike and the lighter goes out again. There's some struggle noises in the dark, and when the lights come back on, only Reg is in the room. Jody's outside looking for Mike. So Reg approaches the two silver posts, and he, for some reason, thinks about his tuning fork. Meanwhile, outside, Jody is looking for Mike, and the lavender woman is behind him with a knife. And then Reg then touches the two posts, and he more or less turns it on, I suppose, because the lavender woman freaks out, and all the barrels start to get sucked into the portal, and a huge wind picks up. Reg manages to make it out of the room without getting sucked into the portal and gets out of the funeral home and a crazy wind is just going nuts, kind of 
blowing everything everywhere. Reg sees the Lavender Woman on the ground and goes to help her, but then she comes to and stabs him with a knife, and it's revealed that she's actually the tall man who pulls the knife out of Reg, and Reg dies. What a weird way to go. Yeah. Right, you, you survive all of this just to get duped and stabbed. Yeah, because you're just trying to save some more blondes. <laughs> right. <laughs> wonder what her name was. Serena. <laughs> Jody and Mike find each other and hightail it out of there as the funeral home starts to pulse interdimensionally and disappear. At home, Jody devises a plan to get the tall man to the abandoned mineshaft for one final showdown. Tells Mike to go into the house and lock it up and find more ammo. Tall man crashes through one of the windows and tries to grab Mike. Mike gets away, but eventually the tall man busts, through, busts down his door and starts after him. Mike runs out of the house with the tall man in pursuit, and Mike reminds himself, Do, don't fear, as he winds up in the woods with arms clawing out of the ground trying to grab him. And the lavender woman shows up, extra menacing, but he tells her, tells himself while he's staring at her, don't fear. The tall man then shows up, and Mike starts running towards the abandoned mine shaft. With a leap, Mike jumps over the shaft. Uh, but the tall man doesn't see it and falls in. And Jody pushes a few boulders off a cliff and they fall into the open mine shaft, blocking the tall man from escaping. What a weird and then Mike plan. Leaves it. Yeah. It's, so but it's, that it's whole really... plan, the whole plan was hanging on, I guess, Jody knowing Mike was going to follow him. Yeah. So it's kind of weird. It's like, was that Jody's plan? Was, was he just waiting for Mike? Uh, I don't yeah. know. Right, because so. the, the tall man never went after Jody. Right. Right, so why would he have gone to the abandoned mine? Yeah, because Jody says he'll be back. He doesn't even tell Jody where he's going? For whatever reason, Jody's plan has to involve that he's going to get rid of the sign that warns people of the, the mine <laughs> shaft. As yeah. if that's the, <laughs> that's the most important thing. Well, well the, tall, the tall man's going to see that sign and he's going to be wary. Uh, <laughs> Is he, though? Have you seen him walk? I don't think he's aware of anything. So that's his plan, and I, I'm assuming... So it's either he knew the tall man would go chase after Mike, Mike would escape, and then try and find Jody at the mine shaft, and then he would know that Mike would jump over the mine shaft, and then <laughs> the tall man would fall in just in time for him to roll down. So... I'm assuming he's improvising, because that plan doesn't yeah. make a whole lot of sense. Yeah, and also he finds the perfect patch of land where those boulders will roll perfectly straight and into the into the mineshaft hole. Right, yeah. like, what are the odds, really, that you have a perfect slope with the <laughs> perfect patch missing that's covered up with the perfect boulder? And that's a one in a million chance of any of that happening. Well, I'll tell you why that, that all manages to, to happen, because Mike then wakes up. And everything, so according to the ending, nothing in this film actually happened. Jody died in a car wreck, and Reg is now the legal guardian of Mike, oh, apparently. Uh, Come with me, kid. We're going to sling ice cream forever. <laughs> so Reg says that what Mike needs is is to kind of get a change of scenery, so their plan is to just hit the road for a while, which I guess was a thing you could do in 1979. <laughs> well, just yeah, it, man. Where are we, we going to go? I don't know. We'll figure it out. I, I, I'm so jealous. love I 100% love that spirit of 1979. I am like, so jealous that they could just pick up and go. Yeah. Just be like, oh, fuck it. We'll just, we're going to ride around in an ice cream truck selling ice cream as we go. Who cares where we wind up? You know, right. we're in Oregon. Why don't we go down to, down the coast, see what what's up? Yeah, man. Get some babes. Yeah. Just get so much tail. <laughs> yeah. You're going to have to lose the ponytail, though, Reg. <laughs> if you want any shot, man. <laughs> But 
yeah, I am so jealous of that. I would love to just be like, you know what? It's not working out for me here. I'm going to ditch my job. I'm going to go sling ice cream with a 13-year-old kid <laughs> and, just, and just like and just live it up, man. Yeah. The, the, the open road is our home. That's so cool. I don't know if I would do it with Reggie. <laughs> no, right. Who, if you had to pick someone from this movie, who would it be? Hmm. Uh, probably the granddaughter, because she seems age-appropriate. Did she? I think so, right? They were friends. They've known oh, each other. Oh, okay. Age-appropriate for Mike. For Mike, not for Reggie. <laughs> no, okay. no, we're taking Reggie out of the equation here. Okay. Reggie's dead. I'm taking over his Reggie's Good Time ice cream business. <laughs> it's now mine. I'm the sole proprietor of that. Okay. I'm taking the granddaughter with me, because she could do magic. <laughs> so we're performing magic tricks <laughs> while selling ice cream down the coast, making yeah. bank, right? <laughs> and Mike's there. Bank. Is that, it, it, Mike's there, too. It's Mike. So I'm Mike in this situation, no? Oh, God, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I was thinking. So if I'm Mike, that's yeah, that's what I thought. Okay. If I'm Mike, I'm taking the, the, the psychic grandmother's granddaughter with me because she seems like she has some psychic abilities, too, right? I'm assuming. Right. So that's yeah. I'm I'm traveling down the coast in the in the ice cream truck, just selling ice cream as I go, making money that way. And then she's doing that hand in the box trick. Gotcha. Right. That I mean, <laughs> at that point we're we've got to be rolling in the money. Probably yeah. And then you know we're doing drugs because that's what they did. It's true. Right. At this point it would be peyote, but. Sure. Anything. Whatever's coming my way, man. At this point, I'm just, my life, I just go where the wind takes me and wherever I can get more ice cream to sell. <laughs> that's good for you, man. No, that's <laughs> definitely, that's definitely something that you could do before Reagan tanked the economy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. it's always Reagan's fault with you, isn't it? It is. You hate Reagan. Speaking of history's greatest monsters. <laughs> <laughs> so this movie was, I agree with Mark, it was very boring. It 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 kind of slogs along. But I do respect the ending, and usually I don't like the whole cop-out of it being a dream, but the idea that it's him kind of coping with the loss of his brother who he did look up to, I think that that does mean something in, in terms of just overall humanity. People do that all the time, and they create these fantastical imaginations and just worlds where like, they could just deal with it. They can control how they get rid of the evil in in that in that world essentially why you're throwing in dwarves in that world i don't know but hey that's your world <laughs> everyone has their own world going on and if that was what was going on i truly love reggie's idea of hey why don't we not get you some help from a doctor why don't we just hit the road in my ice cream truck there, there was no whatever mental issues you're having <laughs> yeah there's like psychology that's some hokum right what you right. need is yeah. maybe some Maybe some weed, just relax, maybe learn how to surf. Right. Play the guitar, smoke some weed, you'll be fine, get laid. man. We gotta, just gotta get you laid. That was always the number one cure-all in the 70s. <laughs> oh, man, I just lost my parents. Well, we gotta get you laid. <laughs> well, can I mourn? Nah, dude. Gotta get you laid. That's that's what your parents would want. You just gotta get it in, man. <laughs> that's it's the cure-all. <laughs> And I, that's probably rings true to this day. But um, yeah, in the 70s, there was no mental health awareness. <laughs> or very little, I should say. Sure. 
just creating an endorphin addiction. <laughs> <laughs> right. right. I mean, that's how the, that's really how people dealt with with loss. It was just copious amounts of uh, drugs, sex, drugs, and rock and roll, baby. That's right. But because uh, Jody only had one T-shirt and it was a fucking Rolling Stones T-shirt, <laughs> so he epitomized that. Yeah. So they get ready to hit the road. Mike goes to his room to pack, and then the tall man is there, and he says, "Boy." And then hand, the hands come out of the wall and Mike and pull Mike through into the closet into another dimension. And that's the end of the movie. It's a wild one. I don't under, uh, understand the cult status of this movie that much. Nope. It's fine. It's not my favorite. I get how, you know, Rocky Horror Picture Show is a cult classic because it's <laughs> got the, the costumes, the songs, the pageantry of it. I mean, it's a very interesting movie. This doesn't lend itself to any of that. Um, There's really nothing interesting in it. It's just kind of... uh, And again, I mean, obviously they did something right because it it made bank at the box office, $11 million. So I don't know what caught people's attention, really. Was it just a product of the time? Or just because it's so silly and so weird that people kind of clung to that idea of just like how how weird it is yeah i don't know it's uh is there anything you would do to make this better <laughs> i would just make my ice cream movie <laughs> i turn this into an ice cream movie afterwards and it's like oh we got rid of the, the tall man what do we do now let's hit the road mike and we'll uh we'll just become partners in the ice cream business and that's well, uh an ice cream road movie an ice cream road movie yeah or maybe they fight the tall man with ice cream. That would have been pretty pretty silly. I I wanted to see more of the mirror ball, that that sphere. I, it needed to be bloodier. And for a movie like this, you you need you need more of the the two basics, man. You need the blood and the boobs, right? Uh-huh. So you you get you get one shot of each essentially, and it's just it's not enough. It's just not enough for this. If you if you want to make it. A, a true cult classic. I think you get you get the body count a little higher. You definitely kill Reggie. I wanted Reggie dead. <laughs> However you do it, that's fine. And that was another thing. There wasn't a, there wasn't a, a high body count, and it wasn't very creative in how they killed people. There were stabbings and the the mirror ball, and that was it pretty much. Yeah. So yeah, just be a little more creative. It, it wasn't a very creative endeavor in that way everything else was just it was too much right you had too many storylines going mm-hmm. yeah yeah so my, my focus would have been i would have brought the whole interdimension dwarf storyline in much earlier in the film and just have the second half or last third be discovering what that is all about instead of just speculating it that's about all i would fix um like i said i was bored throughout it and the only time i perked up was with with that old that crazy stuff at the end so just making that more of the focus would probably be the thing I would change. Okay. Yeah, I think I think there needs to be a more focused movie in this. There's so much things thrown at you and people that come out of nowhere that serve no purpose in the full story. A simpler story is probably really, you know, if the if the ball was more of a aspect of this movie, that'd be great. But that's about it. I do have a couple of things that I wanted to get through because uh, I'm just looking through the trivia and I wanted to find something specifically. There are several references to Frank Herbert's Dune, including a bar named Dune and a scene where Mike is forced to insert his hand into a black box and inflicts pain as part of a test. There so there you go, you go Dan. Yeah. <laughs> this one, just, I find weird. The song Ace of Spades by Motorhead was released the year after this film and is reported to have 
its origins in the film. At a a New York screening of the movie, Lemmy was heard to have muttered that Mike's head looked like the Ace of Spades and then spent much of the rest of the film writing out the lyrics in a notepad. That's awesome. That is so cool. He used the pencil that had been given to him earlier in the day by David Soule. Wow. (laughs) That's that's heavy metal, like, lore right there. Yep. So, wow. This movie really had an impact. Yeah. Interesting. But I, I'm glad that it was taken from Dune. I, that, like, I'm not crazy. Yeah. Because that, that's a pretty, like, if you've seen the new Dune trailer, it opens with that scene. Right. With Timothy Shamalala doing the, the hand in the box. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. All right. Cool, man. I, I, I dig that. Mm-hmm. I think that's pretty awesome. <laughs> you guys want to plug your shit? Sure. Uh, at the Aquino 122 on the Twitter. Uh, that's my personal one. Follow Stranger Damies on Twitter and Instagram at Stranger Damies. Also, four months in a row, this podcast, Stranger Damies, top hot 50 podcasts, according to the podcast magazine. So I, I just wanted to kind of pat ourselves on the back. We work yeah. really hard on these. We have a lot of fun and we work hard on these. We want to give you guys the best we can. And it seems like we're doing a good job. So if we are, we would love to hear from you guys. Rate, review us, Stranger Damies, on this, they call this movie. Just reach out to us. Tell us you like us. Or if you want to hear something, we would be more than happy to to do so. So, yeah, that's about it. Mark? Yeah, so we have, like I said, Stranger Damies airs every Wednesday. So you can search for it at Stranger Damies. Um, we're on Instagram and Twitter, Stranger Damies. Um, the Game Vault Pod, which is our video game podcast, airs every other Monday. We'll have just check the Twitter for whether this is an on week or off week. So be on the lookout for that. We also stream at least four times a week usually. We do Warzone Wednesday. Uh, we do an RPG on Thursday. Friday and Saturday alternate for Dead by Daylight. And then Sunday is usually me and Dan playing some kind of either... Call of Duty Warzone, maybe Avengers at some point, or just something co-op where the two of us just chill and just just talk while going through it. Not anything real serious. Uh, just a way to end your week there. We are on Twitter and Instagram at Game Vault Pod, so just give us a look out there. Okay, great. And we are They Call This Movie. You can find us at theycallthismovie.podme.com on wherever you find your podcasts. You could find the main website, themaindamies.com, and on all social media at The Main Damies. That's Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at The Main Damie. We're also a proud member of Geek Vibes Nation. You can find them at gvnation.com on wherever you find your podcasts and on social, just look for GV Nation. Or actually, those are Geek Vibes Nation. Bunch of great shows on there. Tia's, Seen a Nerd, Gutting the Sacred Cow, a few others that I'm always forgetting. Geek Vibes Live, we've popped up on here and there. A bunch of great shows. If you're into geek stuff, there's surely a show for you there. So geekvibesnation at gvnation.com. My name is Anthony Delvecchio, and my Twitter handle is at AntDelvec. The main Amy at gmail.com is a great place to get a hold of us. If you want to suggest a movie for us, that'd be great. We're always open to that. This month, we're doing completely horror movies. So this is, I believe, if my math is correct, this is going to be released on October 1st. So this is 31 Days of Horror Month. So check the website, themaindamie.com. I should be having some reviews on there. This is the most active the site will ever be. It will be in October. So we'll be doing five episodes of this show 
as well as articles on the website. That's it. If you have time, please go to iTunes and give us a five-star rating and review us. It helps us out a great deal for the algorithm. That's all that matters, basically. Not, not listens, not downloads, just reviews and ratings, which nobody does unless they hate things. But that's going to wrap it up. I am Anthony Delvecchio, and the director of Phantasm was Don Coscarelli. So, for Dan Aquino and Mark Myers, this is Anthony Delvecchio telling Don Coscarelli, well, you certainly made a movie, didn't you? MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.